0: Welcome to Golf Drifter number six. It's been another huge week in golf, a week I didn't see coming, to be honest, with some amazing stories, which we're going to break down tonight, as always, with Vaughn and Grant. Vaughn, how was your week in golf?
1: Well, not much excitement in uh, my week as far as playing, as rain continued to fall in uh, Christchurch. But from a viewing perspective, things happening all over the place and in multiple tours, which obviously we'll tuck into very shortly. Grant, What about
0: yourself? Did you manage to get out for a round?
2: Oh yeah, I had I had a round on uh, last Saturday, and probably yeah, not much to talk about really. Pretty disappointing. Um, might the you the usual story for you and I, Casey. Some good holes sprinkled in with some bad holes, but good to be back with my mates and um had a, had a good match and managed to snag the beer on the la- with the last part of the game. So that's always good.
0: It has, uh, It's certainly been a pretty average weather weekend in New Zealand uh, yeah. over the last week, so I, yeah. I did not get out. I, I will hopefully finally uh, get out for the first time in a month, but uh, of course, Grant me and you have a golf trip coming up in three weeks to Carrie Cliffs, so lots to look forward to there, which yeah. we'll, break, we'll break down in the podcast upcoming, but as mentioned, it has been a really big week in the world of golf, and, and a few stories I didn't see coming, and uh I'm not sure what the biggest story of the week was, but we'll start with the PGA tour. And and probably where I'm going to start is, uh, is the John Rahm story being forced to withdraw uh, after the third round, after being up six strokes. So uh, plenty of different uh, takes on this, I imagine, but given he's uh, he's your boy and has been for a number of years, (laughs) what's your take on, on John Rahm? Oh
1: man, as a golf fan, I was pretty gutted because he was obviously romping home to victory. Um, COVID, of course, and health comes before golf. Uh, but I was pretty gutted that he couldn't have gone out first thing in the morning with no fans and completed his round and and taken the win. Um, and I believe that might well have been suggested by some of the players. I don't know. It made the tournament a bit of a letdown for me personally. Um, yeah, I wanted to see him go out there and, and win it. My only criticism is, did you really have to tell him the edge of the green? Could you not have waited another two minutes when he was safely tucked away in the scorer's shed? I thought that was handled pretty poorly across the board. But yeah, from as a, as a fan of John Rams, I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't get to uh, complete the tournament, that he was probably going to go out and win. That aside, the finish to the tournament was awesome, going to a playoff between two great golfers. And I think what I took out of this is the same thing I took out of Rory winning three, four weeks ago. Is It doesn't matter for the really top golfers how out of form you are. If you go to a course that you know and love, these guys rip it up. Rory ripped it up three weeks ago with no form. Can't lay exactly the same, but he plays well on this course. Horses for
0: courses is, is a thing for, for sure. But yeah, a bit gutted for arm. And uh, just quickly, Vaughn, your, your big pick last week of uh, Hideki Matsuyama.
2: How, how did that go?
1: Well, he made the cut. Uh, that's about all I can say about that. Um, at least I put a pick out there, as I will do once again this week. I will be bold and, and, and put a pick out there. Um, but yes, he didn't do wonderfully. So for any punters that picked him for the win, I'm sorry.
2: Grant, uh, your take on, on Ram. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I've, I've, I've absolutely got a take, but I, I sort of, um, I read as much as I could and listened to quite a few different things during the day to hear some of the other takes, just to kind of, I try and see whether mine was in perspective or not. Um, first off, I, I can totally understand the decision to to DQ them after the positive yeah. test. Um, I agree with Vaughan. I think the way they did it was just. Shocking, to be honest. Doing it, doing it like that, and um, and with n- no warning to anybody that it was going to happen. To I don't know if you saw the telecast, but the c- golf commentators had no idea. They, I think, they actually thought that maybe he'd been told that someone in his family had passed away or something. From his reaction, it was, it was really, really poorly done. Um, yeah, my, I, th- I think perhaps he should have been told in the scorers' tent. I have heard. Um, some takes saying that that wasn't really an option because he had to walk through the crowd and not knowing he might've been high-fiving people, et cetera, et cetera. But really my overall take on it is that I just cannot understand how the guy is allowed to complete, compete in the tournament full stop if he hasn't been vaccinated. It, to me, it's kind of, if a vaccine is there and is available, which I'm, I have to assume these all the golfers have access to this vaccine, why have they not taken it? And, why are they allowed to compete? Because surely if you're like him and you're playing positive with COVID and not knowing it. are you not you're putting patrons in danger, you're putting volunteers, officials, anybody else who, who could have some kind of you know issue catching COVID, you're putting all of them in danger. Just I don't know. to me i sad, sad to say, but I, I, as much as I feel sorry for John Ram, it's all on him for me, really. Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll come out and I'll say it. I don't feel sorry for him whatsoever,
0: other than the handling on the 18th green. I agree that it was done pretty poorly, but my take on it is simple. He knew that he had been in close contact with people that had COVID, I believe, earlier in the week, and he chose to play the event. Uh, I think the way I look at it is if he was coming 42nd and he'd walked off two hours earlier, I guarantee this wouldn't be a story. It was a story because he was he was coming first. And the reality was he knew he was at risk of getting COVID. He knew that I think he was partly being irresponsible being out there, Mm. to be honest. I I actually think he probably shouldn't have been out there. And whether the tour just needs a set of protocols, which says you don't play, they don't give the player the opportunity. I think that would probably be the best way to do it, but Mm. it wouldn't have been a story if he'd been coming 42nd. I don't believe they could send him out there first thing in the morning and, you know, have him on the course and, you know whether it be playing in better conditions traditionally in the morning. I don't think that's possible. But no, I I don't have a lot of sympathy for him, and I purely think he probably shouldn't have been out there. That being said, the 18th, the, the handling on the 18th was was pretty poor. I suppose what I would say in defence of the PGA Tour is, when this whole sort of COVID resumption kicked in last year, I thought they were going to have so many problems. I thought the whole thing would be a schmozzle mm. that just wouldn't work, and they've actually done a bloody good job. I think to to run the tour, albeit without fans until recently, very well. So I give them some benefit of the doubt that this was a pretty weird event. And from what I understand, they only found out the second test was positive, I believe, when he was playing the 18th hole after a second shot. So they gave it every opportunity possible for him not to be um, taken out of the tournament. But look, I I think in my eyes, he probably shouldn't have been there. So sucks for him, but I think that's the only way he can play COVID is, is to play it pretty safe. So yeah, I agree.
1: I completely agree. Um, and look, obviously, we don't want to get into a conversation about different countries' handling of COVID. We're, we're here to talk mm-hmm. about golf. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, from, from what I understand is from reading is that the PGA Tour have been touting that they've got stronger protocols than the CDC um, across America. So if there's any doubt at all, and apparently they knew and obviously Ram knew prior to the tournament, he shouldn't have played at all. He shouldn't no. have been teeing it up. And any, neither side should have been teeing it up. There, there can't be any remote doubt either way. Surely, you just don't play.
0: No, I agree 100%. I think it's got to be that clear cut. You, you actually being irresponsible, like I said, being out there touching flags, or you might not be, but certainly being around others. So, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, moving on from John Rahm, though, and just quickly touching on Cantley, Obviously, a, a quality player who's probably knocking on the door of of bigger honours. What's your guys' take on uh, the course? Um, obviously Muirfield, Jack Nicholas, his his crowning glory, I suppose. I mean, is it a course? It's, it's funny when people talk about famous golf courses. I don't often think about it, but is it is it good enough to be in the conversation?
2: I, uh, yeah, I can't say from from what I saw of it, it was a course that really kind of set the world on fire for me. It's it's um, it reminded me a little bit. Of the watching la, the the seniors senior PGA Championship last week, which was at Southern Hills, which is another kind of well known, famous sort of older older style American course, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I don't know. They just those kind of courses just seem a bit irrelevant to me now, with the way maybe that maybe it's the way the technology's improved, the way the guys play now. But they just hmm. yeah, I don't think they play those courses the way those courses were intended to be played now.
0: No, I tend yeah. to agree. I tend to agree. I I think I mean Jack Jack's obviously altered this course greatly over the last twelve mm. months. Um it's but it could just be that we're a bit spoilt with other amazing courses and it's mm. sort of a loss. I know it's it his Augusta, but for whatever reason it doesn't stand out in my mind, even though potentially it's a very, you know, well thought out course. I'm sure it's I'm sure it is that good.
1: Yeah, beautiful course. Um probably the thing I found the most interesting in the in the commentary was when they actually had Jack Nicholas in there and he literally was giving blow-by-blow accounts of why he was changing particular holes and that was genuinely quite interesting to look into his mindset of why he didn't want a particular hole to play a particular way for the Bombers and disadvantage the, the shorter hitters and obviously technology and just general athleticism over the decades has has changed so greatly and he's trying to manoeuvre the course into a way that it makes it fair for everyone and listening to his mindset and the way that he goes about designing it, that was actually genuinely quite interesting.
0: Absolutely. Now, uh, we won't talk too much more about the PGA, but I'm just going to throw out there my, my hot take from the week. I think Ricky Fowler is is, is on the way back. I think he's going to win something this year. I'm not sure if it's a major. I probably doubt that. In fact, I'm not sure he even qualified for the US Open today, which is another conversation we'll have in a second. But I think Ricky Fowler is on his way back. So what say you? Yeah, maybe.
1: I'm not entirely convinced, but he has certainly been playing a heck of a lot better, and he's bloody good for golf um, when he's playing well. He's just—he's one of those guys that attracts um, new fans. Uh, yeah, I—I I hope you're right, but I'm—I'm I'm not convinced. I'm not jumping on the, the Ricky Fowler bandwagon yet.
2: Yeah, I'm yeah. certainly not convinced either, to be honest. Um, I'd love to love love it if he could, and and he's he's kind of a little bit in that Phil Mickelson mold where he's a he's a guy who could come out at any week and if if something clicks into place, he could he could win any tournament he plays in. Um, so he's hoping, but yeah, I haven't seen a huge amount of evidence to suggest that that I think it'll happen. Any, uh, any dumb... other
0: hot takes from
1: you boys from the week? Well, firstly, I think that you should put your money where your mouth is with Ricky Fowler and uh, put something out there. To, to, if you're so confident he's going to win something to, in, in the next uh, seven months or rest of the season. I'll give you the
0: rest of the year. Okay, I will do that. I don't don't know quite how I'm going to build an odd around him, uh, him winning an event, but I'll try to do my best. Maybe okay. I'll bet on him every week. Alright, we'll give you that.
2: Just, um, yeah, just for me, probably the only take is it, it was sad not to see Ram play and, and watching him play in that third round. The, his ball striking is just phenomenal for a guy with is there, a, is there a golfer in the world with a shorter swing than than his or looks that way it's, and it's just phenomenal the way he strikes mm-hmm.
0: it I think him and Finau probably compete for yeah. that title but yeah. yes absolutely. hey we better, we better move on because there actually was a, another big event happening on the weekend, it was actually a little bit remiss of us not to talk about it last week but the US Women's Open uh, was held at the Olympic Club which looks just like a fantastic golf course, one of those yeah. ones you only see every probably decade on TV but just looks more and more intriguing every time you see it. And uh, look, I think whilst we all love talking about Lydia, um, who had a middling week, probably we, we probably have to talk about Alexi uh, Thompson. And unfortunately, it'll probably be something we all know very well, but ultimately, a bit of a choke in the last round. Uh, Grant, I know you watched it, or I you know
2: you did it too warm, but uh, any big takeaways from the Women's Open? Oh, well, you were two immediately that just how absolutely brutal the rough was on that course. It was. Yeah. It was, yeah. honestly, yeah. And to see them hitting seven and maybe eight iron, which was just about the best they could do, and literally struggling to get it back on the fairway. Um, and then, the, yeah, the whole Lexi Thompson thing, I, I kind of picked it up when she was about five shots up, and they just, there just seemed to be one point where, and I can't remember exactly what hole it was, but she chunked a chip from not far out and left it way short, and then sort of... I think that was where she made the double and, um, yeah, it just looked like she was trying to steer at home and you could tell mm-hmm. from there that it was just going to be a slow-motion train wreck. It was just horrible to watch, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was horrible to watch. Um, again, Lexi Thompson somebody that I think brings eyeballs to the sport. She's very likeable. Um I kind of liken her in a golfing sense to Dustin Johnson and that she's come close to winning a lot of majors. They've both only got one, one each, but they could easily have five or six each. You're, both forgetting, of,
0: you're forgetting your DJ has two, mate. You're cutting okay, four well, one.
1: Okay. Two, one. It's, it's all the same. It's all the same. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, when,
1: we, when we get to a conversation later on, we'll talk about, about uh, difference in majors making a difference, but that's that's to be discussed a bit later. Um but she's had a couple of very near calls previously, where she was a little bit unlucky, much like DJ did. But yeah, Grant, I saw the same thing. She looked really nervous, um, and just you know, she still had a chance
2: on on the last hole and there, left the putt short. So there were two, there were two putts. There was one on eighteen, and there was one maybe a couple of holes before that uh, that you must have seen, and they would. Surely be two of the worst putts I think I've ever seen a professional golfer <laughs> make. They were just awful. The ball yeah. did not. The ball didn't. Yeah, the ball didn't get to the hole. They just were so tentative. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I felt so. I felt. I certainly felt very sorry for her. Mm.
1: Um, and yeah, she looked upset when I saw her. Saw the interview. Not yeah. surprisingly, at the end. So. Well, yeah. that was
2: a, Yeah, that was another take that we probably haven't got time to talk about. But putting the. The need to put her in front of a camera when she's just had a meltdown like that, yep. um, to me, it's just, it, it's like this whole Naomi Osaka thing, it's just totally unnecessary. I, yeah, I'm just so not on side with that. Yep. Um, the other thing Is for it, me, um, what was I going to say was the, um, oh, I've gone off topic on the Naomi Osaka and lost my train of thought there. Um, I'll, I'll jump in, I'll yeah. take a little bit of that rough too. I think in,
0: in, New Zealand, you know, very rarely do we ever see if at all rough that you can't hit a ball out of. Generally oh. speaking, you can power a ball out of it. And I think, you know, it just proves once again if you really want to make a, a course tougher for the Bombers, you can just grow the rough out, which the US Open mm. sort of proves year in year. Now, mm. Bryson proved that if you're strong enough, you'll come through it. But, um, yeah, it was interesting to see that. And I think something in New Zealand that unless you've played overseas, particularly in some of those lusher American courses, we'll never truly see. But one thing I did want to bring up in regards Lexi's unfortunate kind of choke is is something that even I think amateurs and I'm sure we can all relate to is just how hard it is to keep a good round going um you know I know personally I I struggle with the concept of not scoring or not caring or not thinking about how well I'm going like I could not have be taking a single score on a bit of paper but I know how I'm going so whether I'm winning a major by five or whether I know that I'm a chance to break 80 I really struggle with the concept of, of playing hole-on-hole hole when I'm having a, a half-decent start to the round. And uh, I'm sure it's actually probably something we can laugh about looking back. I know I've had some absolutely cataclysmic, basically, eras on the 18th or 17th of greens, which I basically talked myself into.
2: Grant, I imagine you throwing one or two balls over the road at uh, Pupuki on the famous 18th. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, the, the car park, the, the, the main road across into the houses. Yeah, you name it. Uh, what do you think? What would you do? How would you keep it together? We've all been there. I mean, do you think it's a case of
0: of embracing it or trying to hide from we hate well you're going or not where well
2: we go? No, I think I think it's an I think you need to embrace it. I watched Lexi Thompson on that last hole, even after she missed that putt. And I don't know if you saw her, but she's she was sort of laughing almost and joking with her caddy. And it was it was obvious that she had this mindset that she was gonna try and take the pressure off herself by not taking anything too seriously or not letting yourself get down which is great and it's it kind of reminded me in a weird way of of my club champs a couple of weeks ago and I I went into it with the same kind of thing it's I'm just going to have this whole attitude of it's not you don't care but you're just not going to put that pressure on yourself but I think you can actually go too far with that you can almost yep. go to the point where you're so laid back that it doesn't work you've got you still got to have some kind of nervous pressure there to a certain degree because that's what actually helps you perform, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I must admit, you hear a lot of the other athletes in other sports talk about walking towards the pressure. And I think even yeah. as an amateur, it's something we probably could learn between. You can't noodle mm-hmm. the ball around. You know that eventually that'll cost you. And and I think at, at certain courses, some of those big resort courses, that's the case, yeah. right? They often stack those hard holes at the end. I think about yeah. something like a mm-hmm. Carrie Cliffs or a Cape Kidnapper as a good example. And so... Yeah, if you've been defending, when you get to those courses, eventually your number will be called and you will start throwing balls out of bounds. So I think mm. you're right. You have to actually keep playing aggressive. And I suppose that's the, the hardest thing to do is to actually get more aggressive when you know you've got to score on the line. But a bit like a player trying to win a major, chances are you've got to keep on being aggressive. So mm. a scary proposition. Vaughn, you, you probably, like all amateurs, have slipped or, me, or let many rounds slip by.
1: Absolutely. Look, golf is a momentum game, Um and sometimes very much to the to the negative side, but, you know, very much to the positive top side sometimes. Um, I guess the great challenge for us as amateurs is to be able to keep momentum going for a full 18 holes. Like, I can put together 10 amazing holes and be a couple under, but can I do that... Consistently over eighteen, the answer is generally not. I will have one really big bluff out and probably capitulate um, at some point because I beat myself up so much mentally. Um, and you know, I, we talked a few episodes ago about Phil and how he handled himself down the end um, of winning his major recently. Um, and a lot of that was around his um, around his caddy and how he man managed him rather than telling him what club to ha- how he kept him calm. And I'd have to go back and have a look again as to what Lexi was doing with her with her caddy, but I don't remember seeing that same type of calmness and interaction between them going down the stretch, which kind of backs up what we we're saying before about um, you know just having what what type of mindset you need to have. Um, she lost momentum, you know, early in the back nine. She just she just never got it back.
0: No, absolutely. She, and you I could think probably when, ask. once you're playing scared or whatever
2: it is, it's bloody hard. You need someone yeah. else to stuff up and. Uh... Yes, I agree. That was never going to happen. You could um, probably ask some questions about that caddy of Lexi's, to be honest, because there were two holes where she massively under-clubbed um, and left herself well short. On the 18th, she put one in the bunker and there was one, I think it might have been the 17 or 16, same thing. She came up well short with wedges. Um, where I don't know whether maybe she thought she it was the adrenaline. She went down a club, but yeah, I don't know. She just She just looked so out of sorts
0: jump quick back quick any interesting question for you guys I mean might be the first question we we're actually going to talk about outside of the week of golf but it's a good segue to, to go into I mean you when we're in these tough situations I imagine we've all sort of thought about this what's the club in your bag that you love to see in your hands when you're under a pressure situation and also I guess I'm keen to know what's the club in your bag you don't want to see have to be hit for whatever reason when you're in one of those pressure situations we've all been there when you know that you desperately don't want to play a sort of shot or a sort of club. We talked a little bit last week about that, the dreaded yips and shanks, so that might be part of it. But uh, Vaughan, when you're in a, uh, in a in a slightly nervous situation, what's the go-to club? Well, as you know, Casey,
1: I will quite happily pop the ball from 60 metres out from the, from the green if there's an opportunity to do so. Uh, so that is always the club that I'm quite happy to have in my hand. The club I don't want to see in my hand is sixty meters out with a bunker or a um, some water in front of me and a wedge. For so then I'm getting very very nervous. Um, so yeah, I always feel comfortable with the putter. I might not make it, but I feel like I'll, I'll at least give myself a chance. I feel physically ill under pressure, fifty to seventy meters out with a wedge in my hand, particularly if it's in the middle of a fairway. Yeah, not not excited about the end of a end of a. Round and something on the line, if that's the case.
2: Grant, most important club in your bag? Um, it's, it's probably the driver now, actually, which I never thought I'd say. That's probably oh. the, the probably of any club I, that I'd stand up stand with. That's probably the one I have the most confidence with now. Before, it, it was once upon a time it was a hybrid. I had a, a great Shrixon four hybrid that I had for many years, and that was my well, that, it really was my rescue club because it rescued me on the fairways, but when I wasn't hitting driver, that was um, that was the go-to club for me off the tee. I, the, the Tasmania trip we went on, Casey, I, I probably hit that off nearly every tee on, on every course because I just couldn't get a driver going anywhere that I wanted. So, um, yeah, but over time it's become the driver. That's the one that really probably keeps me in play. What happened oh. to the wonderful hybrid? Did it break or you just you retired it? Um, no, I retired it in the end, yeah. Retired it it, um, it had, had a new shaft and, and several new grips and different things but um yeah it just couldn't it just didn't find a place in the bag in the end
0: wow no,
2: yeah. well for me definitely when I get into my sort of 30
0: or 40 out range I mean that's when I come into my best as you know and I have mm. over the years I've actually become quite a fan of using all the different wedges the 52 the 56 even the 60 and that's when I know when I'm in a good golf form when I'm actually confident to hit the right club in the right situation I used to be a little bit guilty of just grabbing the 60 and trying to flop everything. But I think I'm at my best when I, uh, when for whatever reason, I actually make a conscious decision to hit the right sort of wedge. But for me, the scariest club is generally when I've got to hit like a, a four or five or six irons So my highest irons from distance at a green. If I'm playing like a layup shot on a fairway, it doesn't scare me hitting them far. But mm. for whatever reason, I'm just nervous as, as hell at those clubs. I pull my head up, <laughs> I pull... You know, they often fade it from nowhere or slice it from nowhere. I Just something about those long irons, um, I feel very vulnerable to hit a very bad ball. So I think we've all got different clubs, but uh,
2: for me, certainly um, getting a little bit closer. Um, Do you feel comfortable when you're on, when you have that wedge in your hand, would you rather be in the middle of the fairway or in the light rough?
0: No, like rough always. Not I rough, think we talked yeah. about this before, left yeah. and left and right of the hole or left and right of the fairway. Yeah. I think I like the angle more, and I certainly yeah. like the rough a it. bit more. It's
2: it's uh, that tight line. None of us like it, do we? No. Yeah. No. And yet it's, and yet that's – the pros love it. I, I've, yeah, I don't know. I think it's the confidence to
0: take that big divot and in in drive yeah. into the ball, yep. and yeah. I don't yeah. – yeah, I feel like I'm going to hit the fat shot. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. 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 It's a scary shot, but I agree. But obviously, if you're someone that has the ability to then spin the ball, that's obviously the we have to do it from. So I suppose, I guess New Zealand, though, the reality is the rough isn't that punishing. No. I'll tell you where the rough was
1: punishing in the weekend was in, I don't know if you watched any of the European tour from Germany. My goodness me. Wow. The rough was pretty brutal over there. Um yeah, it was a really good. It was a, it was actually a very good course. It was only three rounds, because um, that's the most they're allowed to play in in Germany apparently. So it was a bit of, bit, bit of a shootout. It was it was quite good. A guy three came rounds is, is this
0: a is three rounds a COVID issue?
1: Yeah, yep. Um, that's just the way it was. It was a three round tournament, not a not a four round. That was the longest that they were allowed to to be in in that particular area for. So yeah, guy came from nowhere won his first event was shot eight under in the last round to win the event by one um, at seven under so interesting
0: yeah. interesting mm. hey um I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little uh different direction on the on the podcast tonight I'm gonna have a little uh somber moment maybe a second silence for our good friend LeBron James Vaughn your your idol LeBron James who bombed out in the NBA playoffs this week Um, I'd like to get your take on on what happened in in that little mess of basketball and where it's actually heading this is a discussion about the GOAT. Now, often LeBron comes up as the discussion in the GOAT in in basketball. That's not what we're going to cover off. We're actually going to talk about who is the GOAT in golf. But uh, just quickly, LeBron, talk me through it.
1: Well, A, as a massive basketball fan, there cannot be a GOAT in basketball because it's a team sport, not an individual sport. But if there was, he'd be in the conversation. Um, he's injured. He's old. Father time's knocking him on the on the shoulder. His entire team is completely useless. Miracle they made the playoffs. Can't be unhappy.
0: Boom. Fair enough. It. So is, is he is he finished winning titles? Has he got another one in him? Window is officially
1: closed. Barring uh trade that I don't see coming, they don't have a lot of flexibility. But they cannot go anywhere with this roster and he'll be 37 next year in his 18th and 19th year. The man is, is, is defied, um, medicine for a very long time, but yeah, father, father time is, is coming knocking. So
0: no, the window is closed. Well, because we've, we've had a little LeBron moment. What we really want to talk about is golf podcast is who is the <laughs> golf, golf goat. We've been holding back this question for a few weeks and, uh, I guess it's time to, uh, to really... It's going to be an interesting conversation, actually, but we've just been at the uh, the Memorial Jack Nicholas event, so it's a good time to bring up the question of who is the golf goat. So, uh, Grant, have a go first. Who's
2: the goat of golf? Well, it, 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 there's only two options for me, which is obviously Jack or Tiger. Um, I guess thinking about this, to me, it, it really... It depends entirely on, on what your parameters are for for the greatest of all time. If it's if it's purely down to who's majors, then it's Jack Nicholas. If you relate it to who's changed the game the most, I'd say I'd put them both on a, on a par together with that. If you if you said if you asked the pros playing today who's changed the game for them, then there's no question it's Tiger. Um, there's pros today who play for millions and millions of dollars that their contemporaries of 20 years ago or 25 years ago, pre-Tiger, just wasn't available to them. Um, It's just, it's changed how much money they earn. It's changed what type of course they play on. Um, From that point of view, he's probably had the greatest effect on golf, but from the greatest all-time player, I'm going to go Jack Nicklaus.
0: Interesting. Vaughan?
2: Um,
1: Interesting. So there's a few key points. Uh, I agree. I think Tiger did change the game more. Um, he's got more regular season victories than Jack, which is very, very impressive. Um, the audience of etching watching golf when Tiger plays versus him not playing is just insane. How the players train all because of Tiger is. Again, just unbelievable. We, I mean, he's just changed the game phenomenally. There is only two people in the conversation, um, one A, one B. I'm happy with any, with with either one, but you're going to make me choose one, so I'm going to choose one, and I'll give you my reason why. Um, and I'm also picking Jack, and the reason I picked Jack is because Tiger came out from day one with one single-minded goal, and that was that he was going to beat Jack Necklaces major's record and he didn't and he isn't so i have to put
0: him number two there you go that's it well i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the tiger train here it's no surprise as a golfer that i um i guess he's, he's my guy you know i don't i never saw jack play and i'm not sure you guys did either but tiger was um a guy that changed golf for me and i believe had the bigger impact on golf worldwide which is why i i'm putting him as the goat now question I suppose when you ask it, who's the greatest golfer of all time or who has the biggest impact on golf are quite different questions so as yeah. the greatest golfer of all time I think I still put Tiger at the top because I think he did it in the era his tournament wins when he was competing at a higher level well basically the field is better and he's done it with more athletes playing the game uh, better athletes etc more global game so I think he was um, the better golfer and, and yes he will not overtake Jack's record I don't believe of majors now I'll say that confidently but um, if he hadn't been injured for all those years, and, and some of those injuries obviously um, were golf inflicted by playing as much as he did young, so you, you can't really give him. You can't, it's hard to say that uh, that wasn't his fault, but ultimately, I believe he would have passed those records. So I'm going to say he's my goat um, based on the fact that I think he he was far and away better than his peers. I mean, he was on another planet, um, I believe, in a global sense. So I uh, think Tiger is
1: unmatched. Tiger at his absolute oh. peak is is unmatched. There's I don't think there can be any debate on that.
2: Unbelievable. No, no debate at all. And if he if he'd played on from whenever whenever was it two thousand and nine when he first sort of took an extended period off if he'd had another ten years fully fit, then you know, who yeah. knows what the history books would say now of, of what records he would have rewritten, but you know, that's wasn't to be, so Yes, I agree. I agree. Okay.
0: Well, then we'll agree that there's a one A and a one B, and, and yeah. you could probably argue yeah. both ways. So yep, maybe the conversation true. is mm. not as not as sharp. Um, where does Bill live these days? Do you think is he a top ten golfer of all time?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but that was a pretty special win. That probably bumped him up a couple of places, just outside the top ten. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty close though. You'd be would be knocking on the door.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd have him I'd have him somewhere in my top ten. Certainly, oh, the the greatest left hander of all time, without any doubt. Um, and yeah, I'd probably have him in my top ten. I think the
0: challenge with well, all these, well, the older guys versus the newer guys, is the impact and the recent bias. Obviously, yep. the ability yep. to yes. be seen globally, and I suppose once again, your criteria on who who's a better golfer against their peers. Mm. Um, I guess Bill has had a thirty year career, which I think does counts. count for something. But uh, certainly, I think he'd be pretty close if he wasn't there already. Hey, boys, um, interesting question. I got an email this week um, regards New Zealand Open uh, and the Pro-Am event, inquiring whether I'd like to uh, play in the event. Obviously, as you know, a couple of years ago, I signed up and, uh, and ended up having to pull out because my bloody wife went and had a baby, of all things. Um, I thought it might be an interesting quick conversation just before we wrap up tonight about pro ams. I mean, that's obviously a full on a week-long pro-am but uh what are you guys thoughts on pro-ams have you played in any of them did you enjoy it I mean I I mean I at this stage I will not be participating in next year's uh, New Zealand Open um mainly because I need a bit more time to actually play more golf before I do it and I believe it's actually been pushed out I think it's a whole nother year away now
2: yeah but
0: uh what are your thoughts on on the pro-ams and what would it be worth to you to play in one of these big famous ones where you play three or four rounds
2: I'll go first if you like. I have played in a pro-am um, mm. and it, it is quite deliberately the only pro-am I've played in. Um, <laughs> so the, I didn't enjoy this experience really um, at all. Not Certainly not something that has ever convinced me that I'd want to go and do it again. Um, I can't remember the pro's name now. It was so long ago. Um, but he it was a two-day pro-am. He played really poorly. He was in a terrible mood basically didn't talk to us. We felt like we were walking on eggshells around them for two days. Um, It was just basically totally opposite to the experience that I was expecting going into it and it sort of put me off from then on. Um, I've watched many pro-ams because both of the clubs that I have long associations with have held them on a fairly regular basis. So I've been out and watched um, people I know playing and playing with the pros and to be honest, I've never really seen Anything to convince me that my experience was a one off that seems to be that that you turn up, you pay your money, you watch the guy play, he walks away, and that's it, you know, which to me, yeah, doesn't inspire me to want to go and do it again. Mm. It's an interesting take
0: about whether the pros actually care enough about your experience and the money you paid. And I think that Mm. is an interesting point because. The um, New Zealand Open, as we know, is, is an even more intense Pro-Am in that you're playing with them while they're actually playing yeah. the repetitive yeah. rounds. Yeah. Um, it is a concern. I mean, I would love to play in that to you know what it's like to be behind the ropes playing in a, in a New Zealand Open. But it is a concern that you'd feel like you're wrecking their round, even though obviously that shouldn't be the case. I think it's quite different in a Pro-Am on a Wednesday or before a Pro tournament where they probably deliberately don't want to be there. Um, I'm not so keen on that too. But I, I mean, I, I would love to play New Zealand Open. I, I've discussed this many times. That I think it'd be a format that would really suit my game, just playing for for good scores and then sort of figure, picking up your ball when you're not having a good round. But, Bourne, uh, I know you've thought about playing the NZ Zealand Open before too. It's on your bucket list of things to do.
1: Oh, look, I very much want, want to do that as well. Um, I haven't played in a pro-am, but I did in, in anticipation ask a couple of friends who I know have. And they've had a very similar experience to Grant, funnily enough. Um, and they were not particularly keen to go back and do it again for the very, because it's against all the things that we talk about on this podcast of the reasons why we love golf, which is you go out, you have banter with your mates, you, have, you spend two or three, four or five hours, whatever it is, um, actually just enjoying having a hit and like, you said grant they were on eggshells the whole way around and didn't know what to say or what conversation to to take place Mm. um and that doesn't feel like a great experience for me so going back to your original case of what would i pay um it depends where it is and who it was who it was with um i potentially pay a lot of money to to go and play on an amazing course somewhere elsewhere around the world with um a top-notch golfer but under what circumstances that if it was within an actual tournament, by the sound of it, that would be nerve wracking beyond belief. So I don't think I'd want to do that. Um, and on the flip side, I want it to, so I want it to be in a relaxed atmosphere so I can kind of have a normal conversation with them um, and feel like they're getting something out of it as well. So I, I, I can't. I don't know what to, what monetary number to put on that, but that would be fun. A Tuesday or Wednesday round with um with a really cool pro who wants to actually talk to you for. Four hours. That sounds pretty appealing. Yeah, that sounds, New Zealand Open. You don't,
0: you're no interest in New Zealand Open playing in the actual tournament? Um, yeah, yeah, I would as a
1: um, as a one off just just to see what it's like. Um, that would be pretty cool. Much like you, it probably suits me. I could go from making an eagle to a quad within within ten minutes quite comfortably. So, yeah, um, I'd be a little scared for some of the spectators, but. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Uh it'd be interesting to put yourself under the pressure.
0: Yeah, New Zealand Open, I mean, it's coming in I think eleven or twelve grand is the figure you you pay for the week you get. Um I think you can play probably up to about five or six rounds pre pre event. You can play, I think, one a day. Um then you obviously the, the event itself you play a couple of rounds and then I think the third round if you don't qualify is at Jack's point. So there's definitely some value there in terms of golf, even in its own right, but certainly the thrill would be getting behind the ropes. But I do think the, the pro you're with would be a massive yep. factor in your enjoyment. And and I think if I was doing it, I would be trying to hook up with a New Zealand pro. Not necessarily a, a guy that was trying to win the tournament, but someone who I thought could have a good time and enjoy being there um, whilst understanding they're still trying to make money. So, I mean, obviously the advantage of those sort of events is you've got your own caddy there. So you'd have to be able to have fun with that person and, and it's yes, taken it not too seriously because it'll be pretty, uh, pretty stressful, I think, if you got too caught up in how you're playing versus those pros.
1: What if your pro am partner was John Daly?
0: That could be a lot of fun.
1: That would surely be a lot of fun. I don't think he'd take it overly seriously and he'd have some amazing stories to tell.
0: He would, he would actually. This is an interesting question, It's slightly not a pro am, but do you think you? and, say, Dustin Johnson, as the world's number one ranked player, could, do you think you would contribute any shots in a, let's call it a best ball, uh, uh, Ryder Cup match versus an, uh, a European team? Do you think you he, he would contribute a single shot during that round? Yes. Yes, I do.
1: Surely then would probably be an opportunity to potentially putt second, maybe. No, maybe not because he's probably hitting his shot all the way in. Um, I'm going to say, yes, why not? Why can't you make one lucky putt?
0: Well, my belief is I wouldn't. And the simple reason is on the, playing in the Ryder Cup, I would be a zero factor off the tee. So (laughs) in a best ball format, I think you'd just never be a factor. You'd never be in competition with them. I think, where it would get interesting is an alternate shot format, having to play the odd. Uh, imagine that format: an amateur and a bloody pro playing in a Ryder Cup format. That would be some interesting golf. But uh, <laughs> all um, all very, yeah, par, so I'm have a
2: good Par three, would, would you give yourself a chance on a on a par three of mate? You know, mate, hitting a decent tee shot and getting one in there. I suppose some, that would be the place, right? A that's really that's three. really going to be your only option, I guess, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's gonna be the only place where you've really got a legit chance yeah. of, of contributing. Yeah. Tell you what, it'd be a hell of a format though to see a pro and an amateur uh have yeah. to battle out some form of um scramble or Ambrose type format versus yeah. another pro and amateur. The strategy would be bloody fantastic viewing.
2: And I guess that's I guess that's kind of what they've tried to do with this match, isn't it? With yes. um I think this year's one they've got Bryson and Phil and so Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, I think. Yes. It's kind of I guess they're Kind of more celebrity athletes than, than well, they're good amateur golfers, but yeah, so it's kind of the same thing, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, boys, I know we're running out of
0: time. We wanted to not finish on one interesting topic, hopefully, a fun topic for tonight. Um, I sent away you guys away on a journey to tell me the uh, the best value for money or slash so hidden gem country course in New Zealand. So I'm intrigued to hear what you got to bring back to the table because this is hopefully something we can tackle in summer. So, uh, Vaughn, shoot.
1: Well, it's it's quite an easy answer, really. In fact, I'm almost insulted that you've asked me this question. Um, the answer, of course, is the mighty Bottle Lake Golf Club, <laughs> the greatest money money for value golf course in New Zealand, possibly the face of the planet. Um, no, okay. I, I'm assuming I can't choose my home my home golf course.
0: So, well, it's a shit course. So. Oh,
1: crap. <laughs> Listeners from Bottle Lake, well, we're going to bar this guy. Um, so my answer, if I'm not allowed to choose my own course, would be Arrowtown Golf Course, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, just incredible value for money, considering it sits basically right in between the hills and um, Millbrook in Arrowtown slash Queenstown. You get essentially this, the same unbelievable vistas. Okay, you might not quite get the same quality of greens, but... My goodness me, it's not, it's not too far behind it. It's, what, $45 for a round?
0: Unbelievable. Yeah, that'd be my choice. Yep, good mm-hmm. call. I, I think it, it, you're right. When you're down in Queenstown, it's up there with... If you put that on a resort setting with, with a few of the extras that a resort gives you, it would be up probably as good a course. And, uh, no, I agree with that one. Crap?
2: Um I've got a couple, actually. So, one... The first is... Um, the late lamented Southland Golf Club at Ariti Sands. Mm. Either of you have ever played that. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Um, very similar, kind of a, I guess, an Invercargill version of Muraway, um, right on the almost right on the beach, redesigned by Greg Turner, and it was just stunning. And like 25 bucks. Um, unfortunately, I think at the time there were about five golf courses in Invercargill, and they and it, they just could not keep it going. It got to the point where they had something like 30 members, I think, and, it's, and they just basically had to give the land back. They just stopped mowing it and let it grow over, um, which is incredibly sad. Um, for one that is still open and you can play, probably my pick would be Wanaka. Um, played there quite a few times, and, and again, for 50 bucks. it's very similar to what you'd get at the Queenstown course. It's amazing scenery, yep. good, nice layout, good greens, yeah, really good test of golf.
0: Yeah, interesting. I mean, once again, fantastic scenery, right? When you're down in those situations. Yeah. Um my my old favorite uh, value for money course was actually Kinloch, the Jack Nicholas course. For a number of years at the start of, of Grab One, particularly me me and Vaughn first met, we used to be able to play that course for about seventy five dollars a round. It was absolutely the best. Um, golf discount in New Zealand for probably a good three or four years now. It's unfortunately about three hundred dollars around, so that's gone. But um, I think the best country course for me that I've ever played is probably the Tasman Golf Club down in Nelson, when it, very close to where I grew up, um, out on the Keena Peninsula. Oh, amazing amazing. views, very, very. I mean, it's a bit of a up and down goat track, but I think the members there have done a great job of producing a very playable golf course. And uh, I know you've been there, Vaughn. A very good value for money place. Yeah. No, oh, the views uh, like. To be
1: fair, all the courses we've chosen there, I'm very fortunate to play played all of them. Um, they've all got one thing in common, and that is unbelievable scenery and views. Um, just
0: incredible. Yeah, we're very lucky. It always helps when you're having a bad day to have something nice to look at. Hey, yeah, I've wanted to finish up last thing. Give us your pick for this week. We, you can't do much worse than Matchy So uh, <laughs> hit me hit with your pick. It's not the greatest field the world's ever seen,
1: can I just say, this week. Um, One week out from a major, obviously, most of the guys seem to be taking a break. So, okay, for all you keen punters out there, my punt this week is Matthew Fitzpatrick. I've got no reason other than I've got to pick somebody now. I've put myself under pressure.
0: Fair enough. On the nose, straight for the win? Why not? (laughs) Fair enough. Well, you couldn't do much worse than last week, so let's hope you've uh, picked a better <laughs> horse. Okay, boys, thank you for your time. As always, uh, have a good week of golf. Hopefully the weather will improve. we get out there yeah. and have a round, but uh, we'll talk next week. Cheers. Bye-bye, boys,
2: Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Cheers, all.